Welcome to Sights and Sounds, a series of podcasts presented by the Gotham Center for New York City History for Open House New York Weekend. In this episode, Gail Fenske talks about the Woolworth Building in Lower Manhattan. Fenske is a professor of architecture at Roger Williams University and the author of a celebrated book on Woolworth, situating that pioneering skyscraper within the broader context of early 20th century urban America. The book provides an encyclopedic but highly readable background on its construction, life, and relevance in terms of business, architecture, technology, and of course, New York City. Here we get a taste of that larger work. For more podcasts like this and for more Gotham Center programming, visit us at gothamcenter.org and sign up to our mailing list. Thanks for listening. When completed in 1913, the Woolworth Building achieved instant renown as the highest skyscraper in the world. The day's critics hailed Gilbert's design for the picturesqueness of its Gothic silhouette and New York skyline views. The tower's soaring, syncopated verticals echoed the dynamism of the modern city. At its upper stages, evocative of European cathedrals, bristled with a scenographic array of gables, torrels, crockets, and finials. When viewed from Lower Broadway, the Woolworth's soaring verticals seemed to defy gravity. From across City Hall Park, its commanding central tower suggested the identity of a majestic civic or public building. Inspired by the medieval city halls and belfries, Gilbert had sketched and admired on his recent travels in Belgium. At the Woolworth Building's base, a Tudor Gothic portal at the central axis of the tower opened into a lobby arcade rivaling a Romanesque cathedral nave. Straight ahead, past vaults sparkling with Byzantine mosaics and cornices of gilded Gothic tracery, a gracious marble stair rose to the entrance of Irving National Exchange Bank. Beneath that stair, another stair descended to the platforms of the recently completed IRT and BRT subway lines. Passing through the lobby arcade, a visitor might linger over the dazzling brilliance of exquisite materials and color along with the gilded tracery, walls of variegated marble, and the lunette murals, Labor and Commerce, by Carl Paul Genuine. Just inside the entrance, visitors could take a high-speed elevator up to the tower's pinnacle observatory. There, they would stand in the peak's encircling balcony and take in a panoramic view of the city at 750 feet, a wholly new perceptual experience at the time. Those who visited the Woolworth Building then were more than merely observers. They had become, rather, active participants in a modern social, spatial, and visual dynamic that involved the urban surroundings in complex ways. Why did Frank Woolworth, the head of the F.W. Woolworth Company, renowned for its international chain of five and ten cent stores, and the Beaux-Arts architect Cass Gilbert choose to build such a skyscraper? And how did they view the relationship of this design, this skyscraper, to the city. Woolworth and Gilbert, in fact, had little in common other than their entrepreneurial, enterprising ways. Still, the two shared an interest in the city, and especially the city as a sidewalk environment filled with crowds of spectators. Woolworth, determined to take his stores to the people, saw city sidewalks filled with crowds as environments conducive to the stimulation of consumer desire. He contrived an array of strategies for heightening the appeal of his commodities to the sidewalk shopper. Besides creating his own show window displays, he designed a Diamond W trademark and storefronts with billboard-like signs. 
1901, Woolworth celebrated the founding of his first five and 10 cent store in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, with his first Woolworth building, a modern store and office building that he opened with a showy musical extravaganza, setting the stage for his still more spectacular skyscraper in New York. After Woolworth selected a site for his New York skyscraper, he chose Cass Gilbert as the architect, calling Gilbert's recently completed Minnesota State Capitol and United States Custom House magnificent and artistic. Woolworth, known in the early 1900s as the largest importer in the United States and as a name that figures most prominently in Custom House affairs, was well acquainted with Gilbert's skills in forging vivid, even pictorial, identities for such important institutions. Equally important, Woolworth had taken note of Gilbert's skyscrapers in New York. The Broadway Chambers Building, located directly across Broadway from his headquarters in the former A.T. Stewart store, and the West Street Building, fronting the Hudson River just a few blocks away. Woolworth especially admired the West Street Building, the earliest example of Gilbert's skyscraper Gothic style in which he discerned echoes of the European cathedrals he had discovered on his buying trips abroad. Contemporary stories abounded regarding whether Woolworth called Gilbert, or whether Gilbert's sketches in hand and eager to secure the commission pursued Woolworth. Regardless of how the two actually met, one thing is certain. Both aspired to build the highest skyscraper in the world. Woolworth, inspired by the Singer Tower, viewed his skyscraper as a giant signboard destined to advertise his chain of stores around the world. As for Gilbert, in a sketch of 1905, he redesigned the West Street Building as a 150-story skyscraper that soared above the clouds. Woolworth's aims were commercial, and New York's spectacular visual environment exerted a forceful and inescapable influence over the project. Still, both he and Gilbert believed that they were designing the Woolworth Building as something higher, as a Beaux-Arts masterpiece a monument of great artistic refinement and beauty, an unassailable Gothic landmark. Gilbert recounted inspiration from many civic buildings with towers of proportionally great height, among them the city halls of Brussels, Compiègne, and Middleburg, as well as the Belfry in Bruges. In the later stages of design, he called motifs and details from an array of medieval buildings, many of which were churches and cathedrals, among them the Benedictine Abbey Church of saint Ouen in Rouen. Still, the skyscraper's height, in its own right, made the project spectacular. For this, Gilbert relied on the seasoned expertise of the structural engineer Gunveld Aus. Aus devised a method of portal arch wind bracing that infused the entire composition with a remarkable sense of weightlessness, allowing the distinctive and diaphanous and screen-like elevations of Gilbert's final design. Built by the Thompson Sterrett Company, the Woolworth Building stood at the industry's forefront, representing no less than a record-breaking feat of modern construction. But Woolworth, determined to sensationalize the project, enlisted Hugh McAdamy, a press agent, as director of advertising well before the steel frame began to rise in the city. McAdamy tracked the construction with precisely timed photographs, getting news items about the yet-to-be-completed skyscraper printed in hundreds of newspapers around the world. Woolworth and McAdamy's ambitions reached the height of spectacularity with the building's breathtaking electrical opening on April 24, 1913. McAdamy had President Woodrow Wilson push a button telegraphically wired to the skyscraper's power plant from his desk in Washington, D.C. 
and the 80,000 incandescent bulbs of its interior flashed on all at once. The skyscraper leapt into full view as a brilliantly illuminated object against the evening blackness. One source estimated that some two million words worth of publicity about the event, the skyscraper, and Woolworth filled American newspapers and magazines, all pointed to a newly powerful role for the skyscraper in the city. Even while aiming to spectacularize the project, Woolworth adhered to the more pragmatic notion that the skyscraper should function as a solid investment in real estate. Yet at the time he chose to build, New York was overbuilt with office space. Woolworth consequently resolved to create his own land values. He would finance a skyscraper of such amazing height, architectural distinction, and news media renown that no other rental property could compete with it. He would create a new center of attraction, outshine all other office buildings in the city, and entice the city's leading executives, entrepreneurs, and professionals to leave less glamorous office buildings and to relocate within his own. He would create a city within a city. In addition to the lobby's shopping arcade, a gigantic basement barber shop, and a 24th story downtown club, he would feature finely crafted interiors in a range of historical styles. Irving National Bank's Elizabethan Banking Hall, a medieval German Rathskeller, and a Pompeian swimming pool. Along with Woolworth's 40th story Renaissance apartment, such interiors created a simulated experience of cosmopolitan world travel, while also fulfilling the tenant's most fantastic consumer longings. To that end, Woolworth emphasized service. His skyscraper featured the latest electrical, plumbing, ventilating, and fire protection technologies, culminating over two decades of experimentation with equipping the modern office building. On a Sunday morning in June 1913, the engineer Albert Webster conducted a spectacular test of the skyscraper's fire protection system. Jets of water shot out of the tower's 54th story, showering pedestrians from Fulton Street to Broadway with a giant fountain. Webster's aim was both practical and symbolic. He wanted to demonstrate publicly that the Woolworth had the capacity to quench its own fires without the aid of ladders and crews from the city's fire department. Woolworth and Gilbert's attention to such problems of safety contributed to the public perception of the skyscraper as a giant ocean liner, here compared with the 900-foot Imperator, equipped for sailing an ocean sea fully serviced, self-sufficient, and in the face of danger, inviolably secure. Woolworth expected the most fastidious of tenants, and he treated those tenants like his store customers as guests. In distilling the entire metropolitan experience within his skyscraper, Woolworth demonstrated his own faith in New York, which he now called the world's greatest metropolis. Given the publicity surrounding the Woolworth Building's design, construction, and spectacular opening celebration, it is clear that early 20th century New York functioned as something of a stage for Woolworth and Gilbert's ambitious aims. If that were the case, then who composed the audience for the Woolworth Building? After completion, Woolworth's project, I found, engaged a diverse array of audiences, and these, in some ways, reflected the competing aims of Woolworth, Gilbert, and even the engineer and builder. For those attuned to contemporary issues of architecture and city planning, the Woolworth building represented an architectural benchmark 
and the city's progress toward a city beautiful. According to the architect George Burnett Ford, it is a remarkable standard for the city to live up to in its future civic art. The artist Joseph Pennell appreciated the vista extolled by Ford. But the president of the borough of Manhattan, Marcus M. Marks, went a step further. The Woolworth Building, he proclaimed, with the city's many immigrants in mind, might serve as a catalyst in creating an engaged community of citizens. Such citizens might bring about the city pure, the city sound, the city prosperous, the city beautiful. The image of the Woolworth Building as a trademark, imprinted on a diverse array of Woolworth's commodities, enticed Woolworth's consumers an ethnic, individuated, far-flung, kaleidoscopic, and always changing collectivity to join together in a larger, loosely affiliated community defined by the objects that they owned. In doing so, the Woolworth Building as trademark stimulated brand loyalty and promoted a new iconography of group identity. The Woolworth Building engaged other communities as well, notably the day's technological enthusiasts. In March 1913, Scientific American featured the skyscraper on its cover as a monument of superior technological achievement, a great feat of construction, an exemplar of national progress. The journal noted, America can take from France the Tour Eiffel, the tallest structure raised by the hand of man and outdo it in every form and feature. In fact, in both Paris and New York, the modern city had become a theater and the spectacle of iron construction that rose in well-timed increments to command the urban terrain excited observers. Other aspects of the Woolworth Building's construction epitomized the day's enthusiasm for technology. The building's caissons reached the deepest bedrock in the city, and the exterior's terracotta cladding incorporated the day's most extensive system of ornamental detail. The terracotta, suggesting a kinship with the stone cathedrals of the Middle Ages, invested the skyscraper's steel-framed engineering with a human scale, delicacy, and soaring aerial lightness. Gilbert chose a bold and varied palette of color to accent the highlights and shadows of the Woolworth Building's flamboyant Gothic ornament. In his choice of colors, Gilbert gave special consideration to how the picturesque tower would look against the city's atmospheric background of sky and clouds. To the delight of Woolworth, the Pinnacles Observatory, more than any other feature, firmly established the skyscraper's international renown. By 1916, it drew over 100,000 people from 60 countries a year. Such elevated viewing experiences celebrated the exhilaration of the modern city's everyday life. As illustrated by the popular picture postcards sold to the observatory's tourists, as the Woolworth Building neared completion, so did construction of the city's municipal building. Along with the Singer Tower, these towers and others brought in their isolated arrangement a new order to the skyline. A writer for The Independent declared in 1910 that New York, rather than a city beautiful, had become a city majestic. Gilbert's architect contemporaries later applauded him for making the skyline one of the wonders of our time. For Gilbert, this new skyline, the world's first signature skyline, constituted the most important aspect of the Woolworth Building's reception in early 20th century New York, its contribution to shaping the very identity of the city. For others, however, this newest modern wonder, the skyline, projected with profound pictorial force the values shared by many. Modernity, excitement, glamour, and the exhilarating spectacle 
of the 20th century city. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sights and Sounds. Be sure to check out the rest of our podcasts at GothamCenter.org and sign up to our mailing list to find out about other programming here at the Gotham Center for New York City History. 